Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors and brought to you by the generous support of the Tennessee Valley Authority. To learn more about TVA's impact on our community, follow TVA on Instagram at TVA and on Twitter X at TVA News. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is the president and CEO of the Chattanooga Area Chamber of Commerce. Charles Wood has been in his position now about a year, but he is deeply familiar with Chattanooga, having served the prior 12 years as the vice president of economic and talent development. Charles, welcome to my morning cup. Before we trace your career from Mississippi across numerous points in the southeast to Chattanooga, let me ask, and I think I know what it is, what's in your morning cup? It's always coffee and it's always local. I won't market my son's business, but it's always local coffee. If not, I'm in real trouble. I'll market it for you. It's B-caffeinated, <laughs> isn't it? It is. And uh, yeah, they do a great job. Yeah. And, and we're here to talk about you, but wow, they came on the scene and have just exploded. They've done, yeah, they've done a great job and it's a, it's a good group. My son's built a great team and uh, has some folks around him that I think he's really kind of lifted up and they've lifted him up and. Um, gotten really engaged in the community. So they have a, a number of partners uh, that are nonprofits. Right now they're uh, supporting La Paz, as a matter of fact. They do a different one every month? They do. They Yeah, they shift. Um, they have a couple that are long-term partners. Um, and so Get Active is the the big one, which is tied to Chattanooga Football Club. That's great. And I will tell you this, Be Caffeinated is my wife's favorite coffee. And, and we are big on support local. So it's great to have any success locally. I saw a sign when I was in Charleston and it was outside of a coffee shop, one of those, you know, stand up signs on the sidewalk. And it said, why would you come all the way to Charleston and drink Seattle coffee? And I was just like, that's a great sign. I mean, like that tells you, you should really embrace kind of your local, you know, your local groups that are out there and companies that are out there. So um, he's doing a good job and I'm, I'm super proud of him. That is such a great point. We were talking uh, before we started recording about Tremont Tavern, and I've always amazed at the number of people who go into Tremont Tavern and order a Miller Lite. <laughs> You've got 9,000 beers. You do. you got 9,000 beers and some great local breweries, right. too. I mean, just it's funny because when I first got here, there were only a couple. And, uh, you know, we saw the brewery scene kind of continue to grow and you know, you've got folks like Odd Story and Hutton and Smith and Naked River that have come on the scene and, you know, done a great job. Yeah. Well, you uh, have uh, not only done a great job at the chamber and been recognized that by being promoted to the president and CEO, but how you got there is a really interesting story. And we were talking about it a little bit before. You grew up in Mississippi, basically, uh, high school, but kind of a circuitous route there. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, my people always ask me where I'm from, which is a common question, right? You know, that's a easy, like, how do you get to know someone? You ask them where you're from. And I'm like, well... If I have the time, I tell them it's really complicated and I grew up in a rather unstable environment. And so, you know, a lot of people have a very kind of they have the nuclear family. I grew up in a more unstable environment. So my I, I describe my mother as a serial monogamist. Uh, so she was married five times and had boyfriends in between. And so we moved around a good bit. And uh, but husband number three was Air Force. And so that's kind of how we ended up in Mississippi. We got stationed at uh, at Keesler Air Force Base after spending time in South Carolina and Illinois. And uh, it, it was a great fit for me. I love the Gulf Coast. It's a it's a beautiful spot. And, uh, 
you know, certainly kind of continue to go back on vacations and things like that. But it, uh, you know, it led me to Southern Miss where I met my wife and, you know, eventually ended up here in Chattanooga. And so Chattanooga is home at this point. I've lived here longer than anywhere else. Yeah, you've been here more than a decade. Yep. But, but Biloxi's a great city. It is. It's changed so much since when I was there. You know, when I got there, the casinos didn't exist. I was going to ask uh, that. Yeah, yeah, the Air Force Base was the big employer, and you had boat yards and, and you know, shrimping industry was there and that kind of thing. But it really, there wasn't that, that level of investment that you've seen yeah. come in from out of the state. And it's good and bad, in my view. Like, there's some great things about it, but I'm not sure that there, there's not it's not all positive. Well, and, and that's an important note, and we'll get to that in, in talking about what you're doing now, because when you're trying to attract business, there's certain things you're giving up. And that's something that I think Chattanooga's done a good job of guarding, yeah, not, not yeah. giving up that uniqueness and, and our treasures, for lack of better description. I, I do want to go back to you know the, the amount you moved around, because your experience growing up and my experience growing up was, was pretty different. Um, when my dad passed away at 72, my parents were five months within their 50th anniversary. So I grew up in a pretty stable environment. Um, having to move around that much, I guess the best way to put it is how did you cope? And what I mean by that is my assumption is kids are going to do one of two things. They're going to introvert, read books, keep to themselves because that's who they know and trust. Or they're going to be really outgoing because, by golly, it's a new town. I got to go out and meet new friends. Yeah. I mean, certainly I was more outgoing. And by the time high school kind of came around, you know, I finished high school certainly as the class clown, you know, I mean, yeah. as somebody who a lot of people knew. Um, but I grew up as, you know, I was I was pretty much a delinquent and a jerk. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to cuss a little bit. I was kind of a jackass, you know. And so by husband number four, I'm like, how, how much, how, how long do you think this is going to go, man? You know, so I was not... Uh, Definitely not the best stepson, you yeah. know, when kind of at that point. And, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, I had kind of a transition in high school and uh, and this is almost every man's story caused by a girl. So um, and I was I thought she was totally cute. And I was like, well, are you going to be in this English class next year? And she's like, no, I'm going to be an AP. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I, I was like, I went down and I was like, hey, I want to be in the AP English class, you know, and they're like, no, you can't. Your grades are terrible. And so I was like. Well, let me in and then I'll fail and you can move me. And so that transitioned and I finished with, uh, I think, 15 hours of advanced placement credit in high school. You talked your way into AP? I did. Yes. And now nobody wants to do that because they don't want their grade point average to get hurt. Right. Right. They want to take the easier <laughs> class and have the grade point. That's right. But, but kind of back to the point of how you dealt with all that moving around, you, you in a sense, you became a salesman. A little bit, yes. Yeah. And then I've been a salesman most of my career. Since yeah. Then. Yeah. Did you grow up wanting to work in the chamber world? No, you know, no, I didn't know what economic development was. Um, I didn't know what chambers were. I, um, I got my undergrad at basically an international business uh, with a Latin American emphasis. And my goal was to go out and work in U.S. embassies. Right. I'd been around the military at that point a lot. Um, yeah. Wasn't didn't want to be in the military like that was a little too kind of structured for me, but love the idea of kind of international travel. And so I got my undergrad in that. And one of my professors said, you know, have you thought about getting into the master's program in economic development? And I was like, what's that? Yeah. And so I, I ended up in it. They paid my way, which was a huge deal because, you know, I worked my way through college with student loans and jobs and, uh, but they offered me kind of a full ride and pay my way. And so my first job was Mobile Chamber. And then once I was in and we, um, we worked on a project where we had a um, 
jeans factory. I can't remember the Levi's or something like that, that had shut down and we recruited kind of a hardware technology company into that business. They hired everyone out of that plant that was going to get laid off. And I was like, this is how you have an impact, you know? Um, So, but I was definitely not on the chamber of commerce path at all. So I, I, you kind of stumbled into that. But before that, you mentioned you wanted foreign service and, and that international economic development. Talk about your backpacking trip to yeah. New Mexico and uh, Central America. You you would don't do this at home, children. Uh, you would never do this now. But I uh, when I finished my, my undergrad, I got on a Greyhound bus in um, Biloxi, Mississippi, took it to Texas, to Brownsville, Texas, and walked across the line into, walked across the country line into Mexico and then backpacked through Mexico and Guatemala. Were you alone? I was, yeah. Were you nuts? <laughs> well, it was, it wasn't what it is yeah, today. Yeah, but still. Um, you know, and I got, I, it's funny, the first, uh, I was in Sotillo and I remember I did not pay attention to what I should have been doing and I should have negotiated my cab fare before I got in the cab. Yeah. And so afterwards, you know, I had to pay him like 50 pesos or whatever, which isn't a lot of money, by the way. But at the time, it was a lot of money for me. Yeah, um, it was probably a lot of money for the cab driver. Oh, yeah. yeah he did he well took advantage day. of it. Yeah, that's right. He did really well. Um, so, but yeah. <laughs> that's I, economic development, too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and so I, I backpacked. I, I crisscrossed the country. I, um, I went from Brownsville over to um, Mazatlan on the West Coast. Almost didn't leave. Like, Mazatlan was just incredible. I loved it. And I got in with a group of expats. And uh, they were the Sunset Club. And every day they would go down and watch the sunset over the Pacific Ocean, which I'd never seen at that point. Right. Uh, never. What a deal. Yeah. And, and never gotten on a plane before. I mean, you know, so it was a, this was a huge kind of experience for me. And I uh, went across, back across to Tampico and down kind of along the Gulf Coast and uh, crossed into Belize. And was so, this after college? This was after my undergrad. Yeah. But before I went back to grad school. Yeah. So it was, it was quite the trip. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't recommend it today. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, even now, I think as I talk to friends of mine that travel pretty extensively in Mexico, once you get past a lot of the northern part of Mexico, it, it gets a lot. It's just a different environment. Did you speak Spanish or do you speak Spanish? Um, un poquito. Un poquito. Um, no, es, no es muy bien. Um, so, but a little bit. And, and I spoke, I, by the time I got back, I spoke really well. Oh, I, bet, um, I bet you did. And ironically, when I, I took a job in Texas, I thought I would really get to use my Spanish. And I, I got to College Station, which is a big university town. And come to find out there were more people speaking Asian languages in College Station than there were Hispanic. Yeah. So, because uh, it's a big university town. And so I'd never used it while I was there. And it's fallen off since then. Yeah. How long were you gone? Um, so I was, I think I was there a little over a month, month and a half. Um, so it was, it was a good trip. But you know, that's such an underrated thing of that taking some time off to travel. My youngest daughter travels quite a bit. She works in the outdoor industry. And just those experiences really change who you are. Well, you know, I went, I, again, I grew up in a kind of a rough way and I went down there thinking I was poor mm-hmm. and I came back realizing I was not poor. I bet it was a stark difference. You look at what you have and you, then you look at what your neighbor has. and That's right. Yeah. Whole different level. So I uh, learned a lot, you know, definitely learned a lot and, and it had an impact and, uh, but I, you know, came back and, and went through grad school and um, really have been in economic development, you know, my whole career. So you, you get out of Southern Miss with your master's and you head to Mobile. How long are you in Mobile? Not long. Um, the pay wasn't great. Um, so I was, was a shock. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was there for a little bit. And I love again, I love the Gulf Coast. But, um, you know, I, I was I was already kind of looking for other opportunities. And so College Station, uh, you know, was a city government job, interestingly enough. So I was inside 
local government um, as if you know, kind of similar to working in, you know, inside city of Chattanooga type environment um, and was there for seven years. So I learned kind of oh, you were there a good long amount of time. I was. And until Chattanooga, it had been the longest I lived anywhere there. So in a town like College Station, how dominating is the university like Texas A&M? Does it dictate everything that goes on in that town? I was afraid to stand when one place too long or they'd paint me maroon. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, as a matter of fact, we had a developer come in town and they said, you know, is there a requirement in the code that I have to have maroon accents on my building? And I was like, no, we don't, we don't put that in the code. People just do it. You know, it's a phenomenal university. The engineering school is the largest on the planet. Um, and so, you know, it's just, they, there's so many things that kind of happen around that, but it is all consuming in that community, right? And I would imagine Tuscaloosa and Auburn and, you know, I mean, places like that are, they're just, that is the driver. I used to say that about Knoxville because I went to school in Knoxville. I think it's still true, but Knoxville's grown enough as a city to have a separate identity from the university to a degree. Yeah. The university still dictates quite a bit. It does. And yeah, there's there's certainly a little bit of orange in town, but you know, it's, uh, you have Oak Ridge and TVA and some others. It's not quite to that scale that you'd find, I'd say like in Athens, you know. You ever do the midnight yell? Um, I, yes, I, I was at the midnight yell and the first year I was there was the year the bonfire fell. Oh, wow. Um, which was, you know, horrendous. And it was just this huge tragedy in college station. A number of people died, didn't they? They did. And I, you know, I, I don't remember the number. I don't remember the number, but it was quite a few. And it was the first time I'd really kind of thought about, if you grew up on the Gulf coast, you have hurricanes and, yeah. and after the storm, the neighbors all come out and help. Right. And it's the first time I thought about that someplace else other than the Gulf Coast and this outpouring from the community, the students that were there. I mean, it was it was incredible. And uh, so there's there's a family and kind of a, a culture around that university that love my alma mater. That culture is just totally different. Yeah. It's just incredible. I went to a Tennessee game down there and it, it is a different place. Yes. I, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's a place you have to go experience at least once yeah. to really understand what you're talking about, of that cohesion. Yeah. But it was, and it was a great, my son was young and the schools were fantastic there. And uh, so, you know, it was a great place for him. But uh, when I left my, my boss at the time was like, why are you leaving? And I said, well, my visa ran out, you know, I mean, that's just, it's, you're, you're not like, if you're not connected to the university in that way, it, it is a challenge. And I would think it'd be the same way, you know, if you're, if you're not a Georgia alum and you're living in Athens, it's probably a similar dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you were there seven years? Was there seven years, uh, all in city government and uh, kind of worked my way up. And, and what were you doing in city government? So I started basically as an economic development analyst, uh, worked a lot of economic development projects and, and really finished running the economic development program for the city and then engaged in community development and housing and some other things there. A lot of redevelopment work too. Mm -hmm. That had to help you tremendously to you know, again, what you're doing now, understanding how all that works. But you left there and went to one of my favorite places, Pensacola. Yeah, I went to Pensacola. And, you know, again, Gulf Coast is, you know, kind of rooted in, in my heart and uh, spent five years there. It was terrible timing. So I uh, left in the summer of 06, you know, great, great recession, you know, just hammered, uh, you know, the, the Gulf Coast in general, because there's so much reliance on the real estate market. Well, you had Ivan come in in 06 also, didn't uh, Ivan was... A little bit before, oh, and four. you had yeah, and you had Katrina in 05, right yeah. before, and so that was Ivan was '04. Yeah, um, but it was, you know, I mean, it's a great town, and it's they've really come, you know, as soon as I left, they just turned it around. They've come a long way, so that that's done really well for them. But it, you know, great, great city, some great people there, 
and the thing that's, you know, both really interesting and really challenging, though, is the military is such a huge component to the economy. And you don't have a lot of control over that, right? So well, that's, you, you probably were able to compare that a bit to like Texas A&M. Yeah, you know, the Navy base similar to a college campus. Yes, only there's more discipline. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There is more discipline at Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I will say I, I grew to love the Navy. As a matter of fact, I, I, at one point I told my son, if you're ever going to join the military, the Navy has the best duty stations. Like, as I realized the places we got stationed, I mean, Rantoul, Illinois was the, the place in Illinois I was at. I mean, this was, they grew corn along the flight line. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, if you go in the Navy, you go to San Diego and yeah. Norfolk. And if you go, if you go internationally, you go to Italy and Japan, you know, I mean, it's like, these are good, you yeah. know. <laughs> Rantoul, Illinois. Yeah, that's a very small town. You know, I mean, it's just, it was, if you remember, uh, what was the the tour with John Mellencamp? You know the farm uh, farm aid and all yep. that. They came through there. Like it was you know a big farming community. Oh, I bet it was. So were you recruited to Pensacola or did you? Yeah, there's see a, an opportunity there. There was a, a selection firm, uh, you know, headhunting firm that recruited me down there, and uh, and that was for the chamber. And that I, that was for the chamber. So I, I came in as senior VP of economic development at the Pensacola Chamber and got to work on some incredible stuff. Um, you know, a lot of work with uh, with a, a big um, credit union down there, Navy Federal Credit Union. That they're on their way to I think ten thousand employees in, in Pensacola. Yeah, it's a massive campus. And, um, you know, really kind of shifted, I think, the view of white collar kind of uh, professional finance positions in that in that market. That was your first economic development job. I mean, you worked in city government in economic development, but in a chamber world. I was briefly in Mobile at the chamber there, but really I didn't spend as much time there. So Pensacola was really kind of a good experience from a chamber of commerce environment. And uh, a lot of great leaders there. Um, our board had some phenomenal people there that were, you know, I think really um, passionate about building that community. How tough is it? At, and I'm, I'm sure part of the experience here is true too, but how tough is it to recruit a company when tourism is such a driver? Yeah. So I would say, you know, different economies have different, you have blessings and curses, right? And so the biggest challenge with recruiting kind of traditional economic development job creation, I think not just in Pensacola, but across Florida is the state doesn't have to be very hungry, right? Because mm -hmm. the beaches are always beautiful and the sun's always going to shine. And so the tourists are going to come and, you know, Mickey's there every day of the year. And, you know, so you have this economic driver for the state that doesn't create this dynamic where there's a hunger for economic growth. Um, and if you think about, you know, to me, I think one of, and it's hard to replicate this, obviously, and you kind of don't want to, but if you think about the seeds of Chattanooga's success were in the fact that, you know, we were in a really bad economic place. And so it created a motivation that, you know, if you're in a university town, you probably don't ever have that motivation. I mean, my my one of my city council members in College Station said, you know what, if you don't win the project, it's fine. We got a new class of freshmen coming in next year <laughs> and they're all going to Target, you know, and so our sales yeah. tax is going to just, you know, keep on, you know, grow it. And so having kind of that hunger and kind of when you when you hit a point where you're just really in a challenged place. Um, I think that's where communities can really make a huge kind of pivot and, and transition to something significant. That's a point I never considered until you brought it up, particularly about Florida, that the state in general is looking and going, yeah, we're not really into incentives. Everyone's coming down to the beach and it's going to be OK. And the point you made about College Station, but where this town was in the early 2000s. Yeah. 
and, and I think back to the Volkswagen project when that was announced, it was, you know, it was a statewide team effort. And when it was announced, you had Governor Bredesen and Senator Corker walking down those stairs at the Hunter Museum. Yep, that's right. And it's Tennessee in general. Um, I mean, we play, we're an SET team, right? I mean, as far as, as the state goes in economic development, we're at the top of our game. Yeah. Um, we've had, in the time I've been here, I mean, we had Senator Haggerty, you know, as commissioner. We had Bobby Rolfe as commissioner. I mean, now we've, um, you know, we've got Stuart McWhorter. We've had these great um, leaders at the state level that have been appointed by um, by governors that are focused on economic growth and economic opportunity. And every one of them didn't need a job. You know, yeah. they weren't they weren't like, you know, submitting their resume, you know, to the state. They weren't working for a paycheck. No. And so, you know, and they all brought this great business background. So I think that, you know, is just a different perspective. And so, you know, we've I think Chattanooga, with the leadership we've had locally, has leveraged that support from the state, and it's changed the story. I had a uh, I had a headhunter try and recruit me up to Detroit. As a matter of fact, after the recession, I was here. Um, is probably I don't know 2014, 2015, and they said, "Well, don't you want to be part of America's great redevelopment story?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm already here." Yeah, you know, I literally <laughs> told them that. I'm like, "I'm I'm a part of it right now," and so. Um, I came in later in the chapters, you know, I wasn't early in the book, but uh, it's an incredible story. Well, let's talk about that. You're in Pensacola for five years and Chattanooga had success in the early 2000s and began to make some waves. Again, you're coming to Chattanooga recruited or you saw and said, you know what, that really interests me. Yeah, I actually saw it. I had a friend of mine who worked at TVA that said, mm-hmm. hey, have you seen this? And I um, I threw my name in the hat. It was not a search. Um, you know, they did not, they didn't hire an outside firm to help with the search. And um, I honestly, I don't know why they hired me. I was, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, so I, I'll tell you. And, and when I got here, it was kind of a strange experience. Like the hiring process was strange. Tom Ed uh, Wilson was in place and loved Tom Ed. You know, the first phone interview I had, Tom Ed was you know, gave me the whole overview. And I said, I, he said, do you have any questions? I said, I just have one. You're retiring. You know, how's that going to work with the new guy? I didn't know who the new guy was at the time. Yeah. I thought, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, then they're like, come on up for an interview. And I came up for the interview and got through all the interview process, met with a lot of great people. And um, they said, do you have any questions? I said, I still have the same question. You know, how's this going to work? work? You know, and uh, and they hired Ron, who I know is a good friend of yours, uh, but they hired Ron Har and uh, Ron and I just hit it off. And so it's, you know, for me, Chattanooga has been just this phenomenal fit. My wife and I have, you know, fallen in love with the city. We recruited my son up here because, you know, he didn't grow up here. Um, and so that kind of sunk the anchor, right? I mean, that's a big commitment. I mean, I yeah. can't recruit him here and then, you know, then bail. So we're, uh, you know, we're all in and, and certainly love the city. Did you know anything about Chattanooga, have a perception of Chattanooga before you came? I didn't. So I, and I actually, uh, when I interviewed, I told them that, that the only time I'd spent in Tennessee was, I, I'm, I don't get to do it as much, but I love the outdoors. And so my wife and I would go up to Smoky Mountains and go camping, you know, I mean, we'd go to Cades Cove and, and, you know, some of those areas. And so the only time I had spent in Tennessee was in a tent before yeah. coming to Chattanooga. Which interestingly is what a lot of Gulf Coast people do. When they go on vacation, they go to the mountains. Yep. When we go on vacation, we That's right. just trade homes with them. And I told somebody I when I moved here that I just traded the beach for the mountains. Yeah. That's a pretty good trade. I, I like that. And then I'm glad you recruited your son because otherwise be caffeinated would be in Pensacola or College right. Station or somewhere like that. That's right. <laughs> so you got here in 2012, Vice President of Economic Talent Development. Tom Ed retires. 
you're working for Ron Har. What's that like? Ron is probably the most fun boss I've yeah. ever had. I've had some great bosses. Don't get me wrong. But as far as like working with someone who is a lot of fun, he was a lot of fun. And um, he enjoys life. And that's what I like about him. He does. He's truly a renaissance man. Yeah. Um, you know, he can do, I swear he can do anything. And so, uh, but really enjoyed it. You know, a lot of things kind of going on. We had a, a big Volkswagen expansion while he was here. Um, and so, you know, we're, you know, really kind of, I think, hit it off. And he really helped me embrace Chattanooga. You know, I mean, I think he really shared with me the story because he'd been here for a long time and and seen it happen. And uh, and so in in part, you know, as I got to get really comfortable with Chattanooga, a lot of that had to do with spending a good bit of time with him. You know, I, I first heard it from Ron. I know it's not originally his saying, but he's very famous for uh, when people say, are you from Chattanooga? Ron says, no, but I got here as quick as I could. And I now totally steal that line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As we all should. And, <laughs> and it's true. Good guy. So um, Volkswagen expansion story. Talk about some of the other things uh, on the economic development side when you the first couple of years here that really kind of because in, in my mind, part of it is not just you acclimating to a new town. It's to people acclimating to you because you're working in one, a very public position for not really just one boss. You're working for a lot of bosses. Anyone on that chamber board and very, very successful people who are used to running their own businesses, whose ideas are the best, are going to give you some ideas. Yeah, that's true. You, uh, you, you do get lots of ideas. And so, um, but you know, what I'd say is, is it's, uh, it's the only city I've worked in, the only community I've worked in where I didn't really have to be, I haven't had to be a sales guy. I mean, I am, and I, I do that, but really it's a, it's a little different. It's more, um, it's more like a receptionist at a restaurant. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's, I'm inviting people to the party and, the best projects we've worked on where we've had the most success I think about is I just invite the right people to the room. They sell the city. Yeah. And there's so many people in Chattanooga that are so passionate about this community that it's a matter of kind of curation of kind of figuring out who's going to resonate the most with that specific company. Right. And so, cause each company is different. Their corporate culture is different. Their leadership's different. And if you can kind of get a feel for, what's going to have that kind of strongest connection when somebody comes in a room. It's, it's really powerful. And so that's how I've really spent most of my time in Chattanooga is just really trying to figure out who's going to, who from Chattanooga is going to help make the best case to a new company that's coming in. Well, and what a better way for a company to understand a town than the people who have lived there and made it home who are their biggest proponents. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and some of them aren't from here. You know, that's the other thing is some of them are companies and executives that have relocated here from somewhere else. Um, but they've fallen in love with it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm getting to spend a little more time with, uh, Matt Patterson and Cam Duty over at Brickyard. Mm -hmm. I mean, both have kind of adopted Chattanooga, you know, they came from Birmingham and we had a, a project we, uh, we, recruited in uh, about a year and a half ago that uh, is I fix it. So they came out of California. They're gearing up an onion bottom re redevelopment story. Probably one of my favorite recruitment projects I've worked on. And they were part of that sales team, you know, and so they, they did a great job and they kind of worked with uh, you know, worked with that company and kind of shared with them their story around what it's like to relocate to Chattanooga. So, you know, it just kind of depends on the company and and really kind of what their corporate values are yeah. and kind of how that works. But have definitely gotten to work on some great projects, both with new companies coming in, early stage uh, companies and entrepreneurs, and then our existing business. You know, I mean, we've got 
Chattanooga is blessed with kind of this really diverse economic mix of industry. And so yeah, there's a, a Texas line, you dance with the ones who brung you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you always got to do that. And, uh, and we've got, you know, we've got some phenomenal businesses that have been built here, created here, multi-generational and have invested not just in their business here, but just invested in the community in a big way. Yeah. I can understand that point of when you're recruiting a Volkswagen, the, the business that started a hundred years ago is here in Chattanooga is going, well, wait a second, we've, we've done. So that's a hard balance in the act. It is. And I have a economic development friend of mine in Bradley County, Doug Barry, and um, his previous boss um, used to use this line of, well, if you tell me you're never going to have a layoff and you're never going to close, then I'll never have to bring in another company. <laughs> and so, and, and that's where it's this really kind of delicate balance of, you know, you as a community, their companies are just like people, right? I mean, they're born they get married, right? They merge, um, you know, they have babies, they spin stuff off and, you know, eventually a company can die. And so we have some that have been here a really long time, but we have others that, you know, they, they kind of burst on the scene, they do really great and then they're gone. And, and that can lead to a lot of really good things. I mean, think about access America, right? I mean, changed, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial landscape, but there's no Access America in Chattanooga today. And so you, there's, I think if you think about communities and their economies, you've got to think about it a little bit like a garden, right? It's that curation and and constantly kind of investing and, and seeding new things. When you got here and spent a little time here, you're comparing it to College Station, you're comparing it to Pensacola. What was the difference that you said, you know what, this is different because you've been here 12 years now. Yeah. So again, I think the biggest difference I've seen is... There's two things when we and we have communities that come to Chattanooga all the time. Right. And they want to know how we've done what we've done, how we've redeveloped things, how we've changed our manufacturing base, startup, whatever. There's a couple pieces to this. And I think the, the first and foremost is its leadership. If you go back over time in Chattanooga, you've had this phenomenal kind of local leadership and mayor's offices and elected leaders and in business community and philanthropic community um, that have poured themselves in to kind of rebuilding the community. Um, And so that is hard to replicate. You can't just decide that you're going to go do that. And so I think leadership in Chattanooga has been so pronounced over the years and the business community has really been kind of the driver. And that's not to say that the public sector isn't part of that because, you know, you just heard from Senator Corker, right? I mean, here's a business person did really well and then invested himself into the public sector and the public sphere. And, um, you know, we're seeing that today with Mayor Womp and Mayor Kelly. And so I think there's almost an, an expectation really that for, for folks that are going to be successful in the business community, at some point you're investing back into the community that you may not want to run for office, but you know, you got to do that. So that's to me, that, that level of leadership is something that stands out against a lot of other communities. And then the second is, I think this desire by people who are from here, but also who move here from somewhere else to play a role in Chattanooga story, you know, to, to be a part of what Chattanooga becomes. And I think we are, easier than in a lot of places. It's an easier place to get connected and plug in. And I tell people all the time, you know, you're one email away from a meeting with who you want to meet with. You know, it's interesting you say it because I've talked about that a lot on here. One of the things I've really enjoyed about being in Chattanooga, and I'm going into my 23rd year, I've been able to do things here I probably wouldn't have been able to do in Memphis or 
Atlanta or Nashville or somewhere else. And to your point, you're one email away from being able to meet with that person. And not only are you able to be a part of those things, but you're able to see the impact. Yeah. And that's hard to do in just a really big market. It's kind of like the water's warm. Come on in. That's right. That's right. Because you do get to some places and people are very guarded. Well, no, we got this. Thank you, but we're good. And and you play at best an ancillary role. But here you really get a chance to do some things that you can't do in other places. Yep. No doubt about it. It's a unique uh, environment. And I think that I don't know how you create that. And that's one of the things we share with companies that come in. And so I I um, have gotten to work a lot with uh, Sharita Allen uh, when she was at, at the city in Chattanooga. And she has told me this story about she was involved in, uh, you know, the visioning process and everything that happened in downtown. And she said, I was in the meeting where somebody said or put on a, a whiteboard or whatever that we should have a carousel. Yeah. And so there's a carousel sitting in Coolidge Park today, right? Because mm-hmm. somebody was there and wrote it on a, a chalkboard or a whiteboard. And and that's a minor moment in somebody's life. But think about how many people have taken their kids there. When I moved here, my girls were seven and five. I can't tell you the amount of time we spent on that carousel. <laughs> And for a shameless plug, a really interesting uh, My Morning Cup podcast was with Jim Kennedy because Jim was in almost all those rooms and moderating a lot of those yeah. rooms. Yeah, he was. You're right. Yeah. So he's he's got a lot of those stories. You know, you talk about local leaders and traditionally the chamber, the president CEO was a former local business person. And, and that changed um, when Christy came in, Christy Gillenwater, yep. with tons of chamber experience. and here five years or so. What I found interesting as you were uh, looking to move from vice president of economic and talent development, you're not a Chattanooga, but people consider you one now because you've been here 12 years. So kind of the best of both worlds. We've got a chamber professional, well, three worlds, chamber professional, economic development, and a Chattanooga. Yeah. And I will say, uh, and I went through kind of an interview process for the position. I mean, I, I told the board, I'm an economic development guy, not a chamber guy. And so I've worked in chambers and I love the holistic aspect of a chamber of commerce compared to a standalone economic development recruitment entity. Mm-hmm. But my heart and soul is invested in you know economic development and kind of the growth um, that that can bring to a community. And I don't mean that just in terms of population growth, but if you think about the economic mobility and kind of opportunities that are created around that. And so my, you know, my hope, you know, over time, as I continue on at the chamber is really to kind of steer the organization into economic development um, and to really, I think, focus in on a few kind of big things that I think from a systematic standpoint, help move the community forward and, and bring some people along who really haven't seen the same level of benefit in Chattanooga. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. And I'm, I'm going to get back to that, but I want to ask you get it started in this way. Uh, I'm a big company and the president CEO, we're looking at relocating or building a, a second location. We call the Chattanooga chamber. What happens? So the first thing that happens is we try and get as much information as we can about who you are, what the business is, what the needs are, that kind of thing. So um, if you're, and I don't think this really matters what industry you're in, if you're in sales, you want to know as much as possible about your potential customer, right? right? And so there's certainly a level of kind of 
intake, if you will, as much as you can. And unfortunately, that's not usually how it works. Usually we get a call from someone who doesn't tell us what business they're in and only says, we're looking at a project. We want to put it in the Southeast. It's going to have X number of jobs and this much investment. And we're thinking about you as a community, as a potential location. And we know, we don't know who the company is. So you're blind to a lot of facts. You're blind to a lot of facts. Yeah. It, it's like being in high school and someone saying, there's a girl that likes you, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little like that. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, and so, you know, you go through this process of kind of um, courting, if you will, right? Yeah. So you're, the more likely is they're asking you for lots of information that you're giving them and you're hoping for an opportunity to learn more about who they are on the front. And that's certainly from a recruitment standpoint, how a lot of that works. It is a process of making sure that you're ready to be able to provide that information and that you have the things that are going to be meaningful and make that uh, make that company successful as they look for a new location. So I once heard Haley Barber say that economic development is really the process of preparation and getting ready. And if you think about all the work that, you know, folks like Senator Corker and um, Claude Ramsey and others did at Enterprise South, that was really what that was, right? They were getting ready to win. And the way I try and explain that to people here is how much time does a football team spend on the practice field versus in the stadium? Yeah. You spend a lot more time on the practice field, right? You, you got to get everything ready, everything lined up, everything perfect. And you have to execute over and over and over and over again. And then you get 60 minutes in the stadium. And if you're not ready, you lose. And there are competitors that are out there that are fierce. And that's something I think a lot of people um, in Chattanooga, but in a lot of places, don't fully understand the competitive nature of kind of what happens when companies start to figure out where they want to go. And so um, I think for us, as we think about what does the next 10 and 20 years look like, is how do we make sure we are being really competitive, both for new companies, but also for talent? Um, you know, we went from being a community where we lost, we lost our children, right? Our our, our mm-hmm. kids grew up here, they went to school here, and then they left for college, and then they came back for Thanksgiving, and that's it. And so we've transitioned to a community now, frankly, where other people's children are coming to Chattanooga, right? We are their land of opportunity. And I think as we think about how we grow and what opportunities we want to create for our own children, that's really the question is making sure that we are putting ourselves in a position to be successful in what is a very competitive landscape. Who would you say is Chattanooga's biggest competitor? Is it one city or town? Yeah. So we, um, we certainly compete against other communities for manufacturing projects, almost always Greenville, South Carolina and Huntsville, Alabama. And if you look and see what's happening in both those communities, they're, they're, ex- they're exploding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, the growth is not even comparable to Chattanooga. And so well, Huntsville's now the largest city in Alabama. That's right. That's incredible. Not Birmingham. Yeah. And how do you think Birmingham feels? Yeah. Could you imagine? It's like your little brother beating you up. That's right. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, for us, those two certainly are, are competitive. And then for, you know, for technology and office, the challenge there is it's it's heavy white collar and talent attraction. And so we compete against cities that are much bigger than us. Um, you know, we have folks that look here, look in Nashville, they look in Austin, they look in, in Knoxville. And so that's a different level of competition. And so while 
when Nashville was growing, as an example, when they were winning a lot of big projects, they were actually incentivizing white collar jobs at $7,000 per job in cash. Wow. They did it over multiple years, but that's something that we haven't done, but that's certainly how Nashville was successful with projects um, like the Alliance Bernstein project that came in. So if, if someone had 500 jobs and they're incentivizing it would $7,000 in cash, they're going to provide what, 3.5 million. I'm doing the quick math, something like that. Yeah. That's wow. Right. So it's meaningful. And there are other pieces that come into that, right? And so when we kind of talk about how do you build systems that help us be really successful, it's what does UTC look like over the next 10, 20 years, right? What are their programs that are growing? You know, I mean, and what are the companies that are out there need as they think about talent to grow? So there's systems inside, you know, the community that we need to be really successful. And so I think Dr. Engel and and others are, are working hard on that. You have a brilliant researcher in Minas Artipi there who's doing some incredible stuff. And so you know, you need systems like that, like Chattanooga State, to be really successful. Um, and we're blessed with some other partners. I mean, if you think about EPB and what they're doing, for us, there's opportunity to kind of invest in those systems. I think workforce development um, and talent development is going to be a, a big part of kind of what needs to happen in Chattanooga to be really successful. And uh, is that the biggest challenge moving forward, workforce development, education system? You know, I mean, there's there's a few. Every community has challenges. Right. And so plus we're out of land. Yeah, I, I, uh, real estate is a problem. And and one of the things I've tried to share with folks is it doesn't matter how good your workforce is. It doesn't matter how great your economy is. It doesn't matter how great your logistics are. If you don't have a place to put a company, you don't win. You just don't. That company doesn't come. Um, but, you know, I'll go back to the, the, you know, who are our biggest competitors. I think one of our biggest competitors is ourself. We've grown to a position where we're pretty proud of ourselves, candidly, and um, that's risky, right? And so um, I've tried to pay attention to, to coaches who are, you know, say really smart things. And, and you know, if you, if you look at how Saban operates, right, he, he uses this line that um, success is rented. Yeah. And so the r- biggest risk, I think, for Chattanooga is just complacency, right, that we forget where we were, and how challenged we were from an economic standpoint and that um, we don't live up to the legacy that was you know, kind of presented to us by a lot of leaders that worked really hard to change the trajectory of the community. So I think as I think about kind of who we're competing against, in part, it's really about you know, how we're looking at ourselves and how we're making sure that every day we're trying to make things better. I think that's a really good point. It was one Senator Corker brought up when we talked to him. Because it's easy to get complacent. You know, you use the sports analogy. You win in a bunch of games. You know, of course, we're going to go out there and we're going to look good. And then before you know it, you're not doing the things you need to do, the blocking and the tackling. That's right. Yeah. Less time on the practice field, feeling pretty good. Yeah. You know, you go home and look at the trophies. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and you know, the reality is, is for Chattanooga, I think that we've got a lot of folks who have benefited from the economic growth, but we've got a lot of folks who haven't. Yeah. And so we have two, uh, we, we have three guiding principles for our new strategic plan, but the two at the front, um, the first is economic mobility, right? It's around uh, kind of the way I describe it is the rungs on the ladder need to be close together so that people can move up. And the second is economic inclusion, which means I don't care what your zip code is. I don't care if you have a high school diploma or a PhD, this economy should work for you. And so I think for us, as we think about, you know, what economic development means as a community, you know, that's got to be front and center. And um, we've we've 
we're blessed with a great redevelopment story. We need to continue it. Um, you know, I, I, I post a lot on LinkedIn and one of the things I always say is, you know, Chattanooga's story is a redevelopment story. And I think the bend and what's happening on South broad are, are two of the biggest redevelopment projects in our, in our history as a city. And so, um, you know, there's great opportunity for us, but there's certainly, there's a legacy we need to live up to. Well, and I, th- I think it's important that inclusion is such a big focus of the chamber's mission moving forward because we've had a lot of success, but it has not been spread evenly. Yeah. And just to publicly recognize that is, uh, very important. Yeah. My favorite project I've gotten to work on, uh, in the 12 years I've been here actually isn't a recruitment project or an expansion project at all. It's actually the construction career center in East. Oh, isn't that a great place? Oh my God. It's, uh, I, uh, the first time I walked in that building, you know, it was a closed elementary school. I walked in it with Dr. Johnson and Leslie Gower and a couple others, uh, folks you've interviewed. Um, and I remember, um, walking in and they wouldn't let Dr. Johnson walk down one of the hallways. It was so bad. And now you go in there and you see the the high school students that are in there. Um, we had our first batch kind of finish in May, you know, last year. And every one of them had work-based learning opportunity. Every one of them had an internship or co-op. You know, several have gone on now into the construction industry with apprenticeships. And uh, it's, it's life-changing. And then for that neighborhood, for East Chattanooga, it breathed hope and life into that neighborhood. Oh, it's a tremendous vision. And it really illustrates what's known as the Chattanooga way. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that the Chattanooga way was always perfect, No, um, <laughs> but I do think that the best things that have happened in this community have been public private partnerships that have really um, allowed community members and leaders to kind of partner together, really look to the future long-term and it tends to be less about the people who are trying to put the deal together and more about the next generation. Yeah. I want to get to a couple of things before we run out of time. One of them is you race sailboats. Well, sort of, I, I actually, uh, I'm more like a deckhand and, uh, <laughs> and I listen to Frank Hughes grumble a lot about lack of wind or too much wind. So, but yeah, so no, I, I crew with uh, a guy named Frank Hughes out at privateer yacht club. And, uh, at some point I'll get my own boat, but I'm, I'm on the OPB program. So I'm on the other people's boat program, which is how many people on a crew? Is it just you and Frank? Uh, most of the time it's me and Frank. It should be three. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, the best uh, case. We, we sail a 22 foot sailboat. That's pretty fast. Um, if you have three, you get one of those big colorful sails up front, which is a spinnaker. And so that's the that's the best case scenario. That's it. You only win if you have a spinnaker up. How'd you get into that? So, uh, you know, I again, I had a weird, unstable environment, but I lived with my grandparents for about five years in elementary school when I was in New Jersey. And there's a lake in that neighborhood, very idyllic, a lot like kind of growing up in Signal Mountain. And so I learned to sail on sunfish, which are kind of these tiny little boats with one sail and started it. And then I completely fell off the wagon. Like there wasn't opportunity for Illinois doesn't have a lot of lakes, um, (laughs) unless you're in Chicago, unless you're in Chicago. But I, I really started to get back into it actually after I got to Chattanooga, it was, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't do it as much when I was in Pensacola. Uh, but it's a, it's a great time. You have to put your cell phone up. Yeah. You're totally disconnected for that time frame, or else Frank will kick me off the boat. And so, you know, there's no motor, right? It's just the wind. And it is, uh, for me, it is a great way to kind of 
disconnect. And uh, it's funny because you don't really actually go very fast on yeah. a sailboat unless you watch the, you know, uh, America's Cup stuff when they elevate out of the water. But you don't go very fast, but it feels like you're going really fast. And so, um, you know, for me, it's just a good way to kind of unplug. And, and Chickamauga is a pretty good sailing lake. There's a lot of sailboats out there. There are um, now not as many motorboats, right? For every yeah. one sailboat, there's probably 30 motorboats out on the lake. But um, but Privateer has got this great history. I think it started back in the 40s. I'm, I'm not a great member. You know, my job is requires a little bit more time yeah. than uh than some of the folks who are up there but it's this kind of great little history and they have a sail camp uh they've got a nonprofit attached and they have a sail camp there and your kids can go out at you know usually mostly younger elementary school age um and learn how to sail and it's yeah. a great opportunity to to get connected to that well if you want to get your spinnaker and you need a third crewman i'd call up ron Hart. Yeah, Ron actually um, has, you know, he's been out there. He's raced out there before and he's won uh, the pig. What's the pig? It's one of the regattas there. They do a barbecue around it. <laughs> um, and it's, I think it's one of his proudest victories, I think. So I would imagine it is. <laughs> well, I, I do want to get to the last question, but before we do, I want to say thank you to the Tennessee Valley Authority for sponsoring My Morning Cup. Follow TVA on social media to learn more about its multifaceted mission of service and visit tva.com forward slash do good here to explore exciting TVA career opportunities. So Charles, here it is. Last question. What would you tell your 25 year old self is important for a happy life? Um, you know, I, I did not, um, I didn't have the best start. I was a bit of a delinquent in high school and I, um, after kind of I got into a professional career, I didn't really share a lot of my background. And I think growing up, what I didn't realize was some of those things that happened to you, right? I mean, and, and again, a lot of people had a lot tougher time than I did. But those things that happened to you are what would make you. That's right. They're what make you. And so I think if, if I could have, I would have told my 25-year-old self, like, this is why you are where you are. And it sets you up to have an impact, you know, kind of going forward on other people. Right. And so I think that, um, cause I was not very focused on other people and somebody asked me, why, why didn't you go in the military? I'm like, I was kind of a selfish jerk. Yeah. Um, that, uh, but it, you know, I think, so for me, it's really kind of realizing, you know, then that I should have realized earlier. Yeah. But that's one of the great advantages to getting old is because when you're going through those things, you know, we, we are all going to go, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. And as, as you get older, you look back on those things and you look at those lessons and the things that they taught you. And they really do make you who you are. If you didn't experience those things. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Charles, I'm really glad you're in Chattanooga. You decided to stay. There's great opportunities here. I've enjoyed getting to know you. And I really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.